This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. On today's show, we're going to air our interview conducted a few weeks back with Mr. Michael Pollan, the author of The Omnivore's Dilemma. We were seeking to bring him on the show last year, and it's taken us 11 months to do so, but better late than never. Mr. Pollan's bestseller got the whole nation talking about what we eat last year. The book is filled with uh, quite a number of important observations about uh, how food is brought to our table here in America, and we're looking very forward to that discussion in segment two. In our third segment today, we're going to uh, speak with someone we've been trying to get uh, even longer than Michael Pollan. That would be KDVS's very own Heather Klinger. Heather is uh, no stranger to this program, although you may not know this. Uh, while on vacation, on many occasions we've had previously recorded versions uh, broadcast on this station. and Generally, the person manning the booth was Heather Klinger who's a bit of a legend here at the station, having started when she was still in high school here in Davis. She's now gone across uh, the causeway to seek employment on a new magazine we're going to talk to her about. That would be the Midtown Monthly. We've been impressed by uh, the writing that uh, is to be found in the Midtown Monthly. It's being uh, something of a cross, it seems, between Sacramento Magazine and the Sacramento News and Review. So stay tuned for our talk with Heather in Segment 3. But let us commence this program as we like to do with On This Date in History, which in this case is October 18th. On October 18th, 1469, Ferdinand of Aragon marries Isabella of Castile, thus beginning a cooperative reign that would unite the nation and make it a dominant world power. On this date in 1860, French and British troops occupying Beijing, China, loot and then burn Yuan Ming Yuan, the famous summer residence built by the Manchu emperors in the 18th century. Still a source of some hard feelings between China and the West. And on October 18, 1898, this is one I did not know. One year after Spain granted Puerto Rico self-rule, American troops took control of the Caribbean nation. U.S. forces invaded Puerto Rico at the end of the Spanish-American War, taking it with almost no resistance and keeping it ever since. We may have stated this on the program previously, but it'd be a good time to mention again that we fully support Puerto Rico's aspirations to become an independent nation. We think the sooner that happens, the better. Our quote of the day comes from Robert Louis Stevenson, who once said, the most beautiful adventures are not those we go to seek. Our quip of the day comes from the late and great newspaperman Ben Hecht, who once said, Trying to determine what is going on in the world by reading newspapers is like trying to tell the time by watching the second hand of the clock. Our bonus quote of today's show came from Senator Hillary Clinton speaking at the Carnegie Institute for Science in Washington, D.C. When I am president, I will end this assault on science. America will once again be the innovation nation. Well, we're, we're with her on the Bush administration's assault on science. We wish that she'd done more about the assault on Iraq when she had a chance. Our stat of the day from the LA Times, apparently U.S. audio cassette sales hit 700,000 last year. That's far down from a peak of 442 million in 1990, but somewhat surprising that it's not at zero. Well, it's, it's not at zero, apparently, because uh, 
Despite the near ubiquity of the CD and other forms of digital music, the audio cassette still has a strong following among the blind, religious groups, and court stenographers. That reminds me, this correspondent did dictate uh, every day on his trip around the world, which coincidentally did commence 20 years ago tomorrow. Anyway, I spent 49 months overseas, dictated uh, where I, something about where I was, and got some interesting uh, sound effects from all over the world. We're going to have to go through some of those old audio cassettes and, uh, and bring you uh, some of the highlights. Uh, some pretty cool stuff, actually. Some horns uh, played by monks up in a monastery up in the Himalayas. Uh, some uh, kids at the Shwedagon Pagoda in, uh, in Myanmar, Burma. Some fun stuff. So stay tuned for that. All right, our, our jokes of the day comes from Radar Magazine. We've become quite a fan of the Radar 100, which the magazine ends with uh, every month. The November 07 issue has, as the Radar 100, 100 self-help books you can do without. All right, here's our 10 favorites among the uh, Radar 100 self-help books you can do without. How about A Friendly Guide to Cockfighting? That's one you can probably do without, along with Steroids made easy. All right, self-help book you could, you could do with that. How about Zen and the Art of the Segway Personal Transporter Maintenance? Or how about 1,001 Vocabulary Words to Memorize but Not Grasp the Nuances of? All right, how about Neurosurgery for Dummies? While you're at it, you might want to get a copy of Cosmetic Surgery for Dummies. There's some spiritual self-help books you can probably do without, like the Dalai Lama wants you to have a jet ski. Even better, the great Imam Ahmad Hamid, praise be his name, he of the Islamic Republic of Iran, his honorable guide to lovemaking. Pretty sure you can do without that one. And my personal favorite among 100 self-help books you can do without, Controlling Your Rage with Arson. this point we'll go right into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, this was a good week for myth-busting after the Washington Post debunked the claim by Democratic presidential candidates that there are more young black men in jail than in college. As per the 2005 census, there were actually 530,000 black males aged 18 to 24 in college versus 193,000 in jail. It was, on the other hand, a bad week for Australians this week. Australians are being urged, it turns out, to combat a swarming infestation of moths by eating them. Apparently, the Munch-A-Moth campaign is the brainchild of chef Jean-Paul Bertineau, who says that when roasted, the insects have a lovely popcorn flavor like buttered hazelnuts. Well, you can laugh at this idea, but personally, here at Radio Parallax, we think it's a pretty damn good idea. Despite the ooh factor, insects are actually very nutritious and healthy for human consumption. 
In fact, I have right here on my desk, uh, bought at the Smithsonian Institute, some candy-covered insects. And no, I haven't gotten around to eat, eating any lately, but, uh, but, uh, but I will. And for that matter, Australians probably should too. And finally, it was an ugly week recently for rushing to judgment after a Florida woman was jailed for 50 days when police found a vial of a yellow substance in her purse. Cynthia Hunter, age 38, insisted the vial contained dried cat urine purchased for her son's science experiment. The cops didn't buy it. A full lab test this last week revealed, however, that the vial contained dried cat urine. There's got to be more to this story. 50 days in jail? That's all we know, and, uh, and when we know more, you'll be the first to hear about it. That's the good, the bad, and the ugly. How about this from the Only in America file? Evidently, residents in a gay retirement community in New Mexico are organizing to prevent an influx of heterosexuals. Evidently, the 13-acre Rainbow Vision community outside Santa Fe has historically been about 80% homosexual. But with half of the 120 units currently vacant, a resident council is lobbying management not to allow in too many straight tenants. It does not matter how friendly they are, said Roger Bergstrom, 77, who shares a condo with partner Barry Batsley. It's not what we came here for. Will uh, civil rights attorneys get involved in this? We don't know, but <laughs> we'll continue to uh, keep an eye on that one. If, uh, if this correspondent does make it onto the uh, OutCue program on uh, Sirius uh, Satellite, as promised by the former general manager here at KDVS, I think I'll have to maybe take up that issue. All right, and from the Only in Mexico file, we have the following. Dateline Berlin. Evidently, the Mexican politician who won the over 55 age group in the Berlin Marathon last month cheated, according to race officials. An electronic tracking chip indicated that Robert Madrazo who finished the race in 2 hours and 41 minutes, took only 21 minutes to get from the 12.4-mile point to the 21.7-mile point, skipping two checkpoints in between. Nine miles in 21 minutes is faster than any human being can run. Now, evidently, uh, Senor Madrazo, who's a member of the once-dominant Institutional Revolutionary Party, or PRI, uh, a party which did not lose, I think, even a governorship for something like six straight decades south of the border, came in third in Mexico's presidential race last year. Madrazo livened up the race when, at one point during the campaign, he said he'd been kidnapped and beaten by unknown assailants, a claim the police could not corroborate. This led to billboards sprouting across Mexico asking, Do you believe Madrazo? I don't either. All right, from the miscellaneous file, rounding out that item about the fact that there are actually more young black males in college than prison. Um, nevertheless, here in California, according to the Los Angeles Times, this year, 
The state will spend $3.3 billion on its state university system versus $9.9 billion on our prison system. Not a happy statistic. Before I leave the, uh, the, the, uh, the story about cheating in the uh, Berlin Marathon by, uh, by the leader of Mexico's PRI, we should note that uh, on next week's program, we're going to talk to Bob Roper, the mastermind of the Roper Golden Gate Challenge and other uh, swims that take place in San Francisco Bay. In his youth, uh, Bob Roper evidently swam the Golden Gate, which is over a mile in width, in 17 minutes. No one is ever going to break that record. Anyway, that should be interesting chat on next week's show. In some follow-up here, we would like to again urge you to grab a copy of the current edition of Vanity Fair on newsstands everywhere. Three articles in particular caught our eye. We talked about the first last week, how Al Gore got slammed by the press in Campaign 2000. But also worth your time is an article by Todd Purdom titled Inside Bush's Bunker. And although you may not realize it, the White House really is literally connected to a bunker. Although at one time you could walk basically right up to the White House, currently the street approach to the complex that is the White House is cordoned off for a block in every direction. It's defended by rows of heavy metal barriers implanted into the roadway. The core 18-acre White House zone is sealed by a high iron fence and dense networks of electronic sensors and alarms. Snipers patrol the White House roof. A couple years back, when walking along the White House perimeter with uh, Joe Barr, the news director over at Capitol Public Radio, I made a crack about how uh, I'm sure they're listening into us as we walk by. And just to test the idea, I said, geez, I wonder what would happen if I lobbed a rock over the fence. Not 10 seconds later, a guy emerged out of nowhere, evidently a plainclothes police officer, to, uh, to step up to the fence and sort of take a look at who was walking by. But uh, Mr. Purdom, in his article about the White House's bunker mentality, talks about, again, how it, it literally is a bunker. The largest single component of the White House operations in terms of personnel and budget is its least known, the White House Military Office. Even before the 9-11 attacks, the military office accounted for 2,200 of the 5,900 workers on the extended White House staff. The military office oversees food service in the West Wing mess and on Air Force One, for which it sends out anonymous shoppers to local grocery stores. The article notes that uh, every White House motorcade these days contains a wagon load of black-clad, heavily armed Secret Service agents known as the CAT for counter-assault team, and two identical armored black Cadillac limousines. One of them carries the president, the other is a decoy that carries the president's doctor and his personal aide. It's known as the toast car, as in what it would be if the worst ever happened. Actually, while watching that god-awful military channel uh, some time ago, I saw these uh, black SUVs and how that you can basically pop the top off and machine guns uh, come out. At any rate, I'm not going to go on and on about, about this article, but it does mention the Presidential Emergency Operations Center, or PEOC, something you've probably never heard about. But it is where the president or vice president uh, goes underneath the White House to direct, uh, direct operations in case of a crisis. This is where Dick Cheney went after the planes hit the Twin Towers on September 11th. 
The third article we'll talk a little bit about on next week's program was by Donald Bartlett and James B. Steele, and it investigates what happened to the $12 billion, with a B, in U.S. currency, which was shipped to the war zone in Iraq. It was supposed to be dispensed by the Coalition Provisional Authority, but it turns out that at least nine of those $12 billion has gone missing. We'll take that one up next week. You know, we need to do uh, some medicine on this program. We do every so often. Uh, one, one article I saw in yesterday's uh, newspaper just hit me between the eyes. We mentioned this on the show before. We need to mention it again. Apparently, according to the Centers for Disease Control in Atlanta, drug-resistant staphylococcus bacteria are now killing more people than the AIDS virus. A study done in nine states, uh, the results of which were published in the Journal of the American Medical Association, indicates that this uh, new method, well, it's not new, methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus, or MRSA, usually pronounced MRSA, is a dangerous bacterium. It's been around uh, hospitals for quite, uh, quite some time. But it's, uh, it's gotten out into the general public, and yes, yes, we are seeing it out in the real world of medicine, and it is just raising hell. I see outpatients with this, and I, I have probably had a case or two myself in recent years. But um, in the really nasty cases where it gets invasive, um, researchers calculated there were 94,000 cases of that in 2005, which was three times higher than an earlier estimate. Question is, are people picking this up in hospitals and then transporting it outside to spread around in the community? Or is this due to our profligate use of antibiotics? Uh, Forbes magazine asked the question, if MRSA is such a scourge, why haven't companies developed drugs that fight it? Well, it turns out the companies aren't interested in antibiotics because, well, there are a lot of other drugs are just better investments. Scary stuff. All right, on a somewhat happier note, and we know we can count on him for this, uh, let's go to America's foremost political comic, Will Durst. Well, thanks, Doug. And today I want to talk about Al Gore winning the Nobel Peace Prize, which has caused his supporters to start twitching like the leaves of an aspen tree during a nor'easter in sheer anticipation. Because now they know he's going to jump in and run for the presidency. The same way they knew he was going to jump in and run for the presidency after he won an Oscar earlier this year. But he didn't. The same way they knew he was going to jump in and run for the presidency after he won an Emmy this year. But he didn't. The same way they knew he was going to jump in and run for the presidency after he won the presidency in the year 2000. But he didn't. You know what? I'm not all that sure he likes running for the presidency. Besides, the hole in the Democratic ticket isn't what you call your huge. I mean, yeah, sure, some people don't like Hillary. But you know what? For some reason, the media hates Al Gore. I don't know why. They said that he said he invented the Internet, which he never did. Then they called his claim to be the inspiration for the lead character in Eric Siegel's love story a lie, when the author himself argued it was true. Also accused him of being the first living example of reverse taxidermy. Which, all right, that, I mean, that might have some credence, okay. Besides, I have heard the Nobel Peace Prize isn't that slam dunk of a deal. A highly placed, reliable source in a sensitive position who is intimate with certain Wheeler dealers in top GOP circles hints that Jeb Bush has asked the Florida Supreme Court to determine jurisdiction over the election results. And there could be a recount. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't put it past him. Four Radio Parallax, 
I am Will Durst. And yes, it's apparent that Will also reads Vanity Fair. Let's take a break and come back and speak with the distinguished Michael Pollan, author of The Omnivore's Dilemma. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. about destruction don't you know that you can count me out 